feel nauseous. Why do you feel nauseous? What did I you eat? Des- I decided it would be a good idea to get a big cup of cappuccino on the way home because I felt just a little down. Okay. Just a low energy. And now you're bouncing up and the I walls. And I sucked that down. Yeah, I've just got rot gut. And <laughs> Is it good? Well, it can't be great because you're nauseous and you have rot gut. It's just because I don't drink caffeine in mass quantities any, any longer. I'm just curious what you're thinking. You, you've, you've gotten off of caffeine and then you thought it was... I was, I was you had dragging. the bright idea. I know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to have a cup of regular coffee. I'm just going to go all out and double cappuccino it. Mm-hmm. You're suffering from your... I, call, I called the pit boss and said, I want to put all my chips in. <laughs> will you cover this bet? <laughs> yes. And now you have rock and nausea. Yeah, they said the house will cover this bet and I lost. <laughs> the house always wins. Should I? Uh, should I do the intro? Yeah, go ahead and uh, spool that up. I'm going to do it. Hello and welcome to Backers, a fortnightly podcast where we explore the most compelling campaigns in a random category on Kickstarter and each pick a campaign to back. We are your hosts, Brian Dupuy and Chris Rump, and this week we're talking about what we back in the comics category. Chris, how's it going, man? Mm, rot gut. <laughs> Just gut. It's tough. The word for the day is rot gut. Uh, it's I'm okay. Sorry. Between my rot gut and uh, just the events of the past week, the, everything's just hanging heavy on me now. But I've got my throat comfort tea. Oh. Mm-hmm. My pretentious comfort tea. Did you do nasocort this week? And uh, I did not. Okay. But we're ready to have a little chat here. Yes. This is my pretentious beverage with a licorice root, wild cherry bark, and slippery elm bark. Slippery, slippery elm bark. <laughs> So I'm trying to get soothed and ready to go. That really sounds like some kind of witch's brew. <laughs> well, it's preferable to that garbage that they give us in the break room. Ugh. I guess it's not garbage, but that's like wannabe pretentious tea, that Tazo tea. Oh, yeah. I just don't get the angle they're trying to pull with that at all. It's pretentious tea for the masses. Yeah. Like their mint tea has tarragon in it, for God's sake. Okay. Who does that? If you want a mint tea... Just give me mint tea so I can steep the mint. I don't want tarragon in there. Like, I think of tarragon mixing with fish or poultry. <laughs> Not with your tea? Yeah. Not with your like soothing? A big glass of uh, fish water with some tarragon in it. <laughs> That's what I think of. Okay. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know. I don't want that. I think you... Did you have a curry today, the too? The other thing... I, You're just going um, all in on the rock gut. I wanted to read the description... For Taza Tea? Yeah, have you read any of those descriptions on the side of the box? <laughs> Admittedly, I have not. Here. Oh, I think it's... Okay, this has it on... Well, it's on Target's website. The rich flavor of the peppermint and the intensity of the spearmint jump, skip, and roll down grassy hills My while God. the warm hint of sweet tarragon wonders what all the rush is about. <laughs> <laughs> There's somebody that has to write... That guy had the, a good day when he wrote that. flowery descriptions to... Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm just having a little bourbon. Oh, I wish I was. Not with Instead, that rock gut. I'm, I'm thinking about the tarragon. That makes my hackles rise. So, we're back. We have, uh, this is what, uh, third episode? We had pilot. We had art. This week we had comics, which was a fantastic category. I know that I found a whole lot that I really enjoyed and Chris found some things that I think he very much enjoyed. Oh, absolutely. You had a another category that you were 
you found something that you wished we could have packed? Oh, I did. I sent you as soon as I saw it. Yeah. I can't remember. It came across the tutor at some point, um, I think on Twitter, where the project was closing, maybe, or I just saw it mentioned in an article. But I was like, man, why, oh, why did we not choose the film and video <laughs> category this week? Because we missed out. I had a lot of regret. On Barry and Joe. So the, the I'll just read the subtitle of this project. It sounded amazing. Barack Obama and Joe Biden are sent back in time by Neil deGrasse Tyson, <laughs> bromancing the multiverse to save us from ourselves. <laughs> I just love the bromancing the multiverse. So good. Yeah, it was the Barry and Joe animated series pilot. It really is good. It really, uh, really is. The artwork is fantastic. The And this is young Barry and Joe. <laughs> The adventures of Barack Obama and Joe Biden bromancing the multiverse as they try to save us from ourselves. It's so good. I really um, Yeah, I and like the whole premise was closed. that like moments I know, moments after the inauguration of Trump, a crack like scientific team takes Joe Biden and, and Obama aside <laughs> and sends them back in time where they like their minds inhabit they sent sent back in time, but to inhabit their younger selves. <laughs> and then like a holographic vision of Neil deGrasse Tyson is sent back to so the only they can see him, kind of like Quantum Leap, right? And oh. uh, yeah, it's great. It's and so then I guess good. the pilot is for all to, to 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 back, but we missed it. We missed it. Yeah, we missed out. We chose poorly. It was almost worth it to to have a special episode to just say stop the press. <laughs> we're going with the video. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're rolling for this. Yeah, yeah. And now we missed out. So now we uh, is there? Yeah, but it looks like it got back. Yeah, it did. By it did. oh man, just barely. So they, were, they were trying to raise yeah hundred grand to do the pilot episode, and just crossed over that one hundred seven thousand nine hundred four dollars with one thousand seven hundred fifty three backers that just had to have this project in their lives. So that's so good. I'm assuming you've seen all those Joe and Barack memes, right? Yeah, exactly. Gosh, they're just good. But yeah, so, I love the uh, just the the addition of Neil deGrasse Tyson just thrown in there as well. <laughs> Why not? You're gonna get all the demographics with that one. Aside from the people like me that are now you know off the NDT train. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you, you are no longer on this train. No, you don't screw with Pluto. Do you, Do you get a little bit from this TV Guide cover that young Joe Biden looks like Agent Smith from? Uh, <laughs> He really does. Yeah. <laughs> From the Matrix. Although I've never seen him smile quite in that way. But yeah, that's definitely an Agent Smith vibe. Oh, it's just so good. We, yeah, I have a little regret. That's okay. It's okay. It's going to be a thing. So uh, we didn't back it and it's still going to come to life. Yeah. Unlike some other things that got backed and didn't come to life. Yeah, just in general. This one we came across glowing plant Kickstarter campaign <laughs> that never came to fruition. Right. Uh, or did, I guess. Um, there was an article that ran towards the end of August about, um, it was titled, One of the Most Controversial Kickstarter Campaigns in History is Dead. But they actually did deliver on something. It was on something. This article was run in Business Insider. Yeah. So, yeah. Was, and I remember when this uh, Kickstarter last year was getting a lot of steam, the idea was to, it was a, biological um, campaign. Right? Yeah, synthetic biology campaign where they were going to create a plant that had spliced into its, uh, what, genome? I'm no 
mm-hmm. molecular biologist or whatever, but or geneticist. But uh, yeah, they were going to try and grow plants that were iridescent, and people loved that idea, right? So they threw in and 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 backed this thing up. I don't have the stats on how much it got backed, but I think it crossed that funding threshold in spades. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember the the exact numbers either, but they didn't have any problem meeting their meeting their goals. They just had problems meeting the ambitions of the Kickstarter, right? Yeah. So, but the cool thing is, I think that's interesting. Like they did deliver something, but they just shifted. So, what what did they end up doing? They shifted and made a plant that has a scent to it. <laughs> yeah, it's close to glowing, <laughs> right? Yeah, makes your uh, it either your, glows or it smells. Makes your nose glow. <laughs> yeah. We well, it sets your nose alight. That brings up a bigger issue about the accountability and how uh, you go about looking at these Kickstarter campaigns. Are they too good to be true? There's another story that ran in Business Insider about several of the too good to be true style of campaigns. There was one smartwatch that came out that was for a hundred dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. It was going to have uh, gesture detection. It was going to have voice recognition. It was going to have all of these fantastic features, including being waterproof down to like five meters or something like that. It was this really awesome smartwatch and they actually delivered. And when the people started getting the things that got delivered, they couldn't tell time. There was no gesture detection. <laughs> or did they I, I thought the telling time part was classic. And then if you got it in a shower, it would break immediately. So they weren't waterproof either. There was do you another. Know what the, uh, do you know what the uh, reward backing levels were for that project? Um, like how it, much money did people put down to end up with these these watches? It was a hundred dollars for the early backers, so that they could get a watch. And I think later backers paid 140 maybe? Yeah. 100 bucks on a brand new product that, you know, had some slick marketing. And that was the thing that came out of it. I believe this was the one that Kickstarter launched an investigation that into the campaign. It, yeah, it was the Kraos smartwatch. Um, and they found that the oh no or was that the aqualung <laughs> i think it was the aqualung because the uh, glowing plant one was the one where it got backed and then kickstarter shut down any more uh biology project projects after that yep and so that was the first and last of the what gmo biological hacking projects that you'll see on kickstarter but this yeah this aqualung thing they yep. they uh they raised some ungodly amount in the first campaign, and then relaunched and raised another $454,000 from it, even though they had scientists saying, yeah, basically (laughs) everything about this is complete and utter bunk. There's no way they're able to pull the amount of oxygen that a human body needs from the type of apparatus that they're showing. But people bought into it, right? Do you think the second time around, anybody that backed the first time backed again? Jumped back in. Like just really doubled down and said... I need this. I believe in you guys. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I love the Aqualung, though. They they had these very carefully crafted marketing videos where they show a guy underwater, and he never stayed. They never showed him for longer than about 55 seconds, right? They weren't just showing clips of the Star Wars The Phantom Menace? <laughs> no. Where, where Obi-Wan and what's yeah. his head? 
Yeah. Are un- it, yes. No, they weren't showing that. They they were showing a go see the someone Jar Jar. using quote unquote mm-hmm. using their apparatus, but uh, yeah, it's bunk. So so that brings up an issue. How do you ensure, or if not ensure, come away with some hope that your project is actually going to come to fruition? Right. That, how do you vet these projects so that you don't end up losing all your money? And that's that's a hard problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got a couple back projects under our belts now, but um, I guess we could have a little discussion about how we go about scrutinizing or um, sure. appraising projects to try and see if they're on the up and up. Yeah. Yeah. For this one, comics, it felt fairly easy to tell whether somebody had their eye on the on the ball and had a vision to complete whatever was necessary to get to the end. Right. There was either sample pages or some of them even had all the artwork already complete and available. And like they had a first book that was already done and they were working on their second book and the first book was available elsewhere. So you kind of have a track record of some successes there. Yeah. I guess one thing I always think about whenever going into Kickstarter is how much can I afford to lose if <laughs> if the project never delivers? Right. Right. Because as a backer in these crowdfunding sites, Kickstarter or Indiegogo, you're not trading your money for, for stock in the company, right? right? You're just, you're making a pledge for a project that really has no necessarily guarantee that they're going to deliver. And I think that if you look at Kickstarter's FAQ under the accountability section, the language there is pretty clear that Kickstarter makes no guarantee about the project's claims or the creator's ability or responsibility to see it through to completion. And just pulling from their their fact, they say, on Kickstarter, the backers ultimately decide the validity and worthiness of a project by whether they decide to fund it. And that's kind of weird. <laughs> mm, very <laughs> there's Like I said, there's really no claim there about uh, w- will it deliver and Kickstarter is washing their hands of it. They're just yeah. saying that it's up to you. you. Know, we we decide its validity based on putting our, I was going to say money where our mouth is, but money where our eyeballs are, I guess. <laughs> it's like you look you look at Kickstarter or you hear the buzz about it and you're sent to a page and yeah, you have to do the diligence to try and see, you're just kind of t- taking it on faith that they're going to deliver on what they're, um, what yeah. they're advertising. Yeah. So I guess one thing is like, do they have a reputation at risk? Oh, There's, okay. Right. Like, I mean, as backers, we're kind of leaning on etiquette or convention or just decorum. This implied understanding that this project the creators are putting forth, right, that what they're actually putting is the reputations at risk. Yep, that's valid. So I think one question to ask when you're looking at a, a campaign is, does the project creator have a reputation that they're trying to uphold? Yep. That's, that's a very good interesting. point. And the one project or campaign that I backed that hasn't delivered, I went back and did a little digging after the fact and and took a look and saw what the people that created the campaign were doing. And they basically gone radio silent since about 2016, like early 2016. Their website is still up and goes to their Twitter feeds. They're still posting some Twitter stuff, but every mention of the campaign is just gone so it really looks like they've washed their hands of it, of 
that campaign. And it was interesting. A Do you know if they ever successful like one. made a statement saying that? Not at all. The last yeah, thing yeah. that they put was, "We've got an update coming in a couple of days," and that was what a year and a half ago. So, yeah, and the company that they're nominally working for for this project still exists. It's just I I have no idea what they are doing, but yeah, I think that one's a lost cause. So their reputation in my eyes, at least, and I assume for the other backers that are there for this company is I'm not going to trust them anymore. They have burned their bridges with me because they have my money and they didn't give me anything out of it. I imagine the bigger the reputation, the, the better. They had no shame. They, yeah, they really didn't. It, it, I guess there was no loss to them if they didn't. So whereas a, a, a bigger per, bigger company or even like an artist trying to get their name out there, you don't want to poop where you eat, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting because one of the things I was thinking about in terms of how you vet a Kickstarter campaign before you, you back it too was are the creators engaged with the backers, mm. right? Which kind of ties in that reputation, reputation thing and that's interesting that in some regards, the project you're talking about, that they are still communicating on some level, <laughs> yeah, but, but not about the campaign anymore. Nope. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I feel like they've written it off. So what are the campaign promises too? And does a project have a clear plan for completion? Do the promises seem credible, even possible? Right. You were mentioning the the Aqualong project. I mean, people, I think, bought into the fantasy, but did that actually seem credible? Do they have anybody that came behind yeah. and did any diligence and said, you know, the, there's no way this is going to fly? Well, and then if they do do the diligence... How do you advertise that? Exactly. Or and who, I think, who, is, who is running counter to the campaign, I guess? Yep. So I remember that one in particular. There were several physiological sciences people that could say there's almost no way in the world, given the apparatus that they're showing, that that thing could do what they're claiming that it could do. But how do they get that out? And, and it came out because companies like TechCrunch go and talk to these people, right, and say, hey, the, does this hold water or not? If these smaller ones, like eh, like this comic category, there's nobody that's going to go in there and and say, well, this guy has never drawn anything in his life, you know? <laughs> so it's more up to you to make that determination based on what you can find. And yeah. I'm sure what you did, well, then again, you know more about comics than I do, but I'm, what I did was I, after going through all the pages that I was looking, or the, all the campaigns that I was looking at, I would go and search for that creator and see the kinds of things that they did before outside of Kickstarter or even inside of Kickstarter. The ones that I chose had successful campaigns in the past, and that's helpful to see right. that they delivered things in the past as well boost their reputation, boost my confidence that they're going to deliver on this particular one. Yeah, even last week, just looking at the art category, um, we talked about Eliza with her sketchbook. Mm. And, you know, and I went and just kind of a quick Google search turned up a lot about her, um, even some videos that she had done when she was in, in school. So you get a sense for, I think, in some ways who she is, and you can find out a little bit of information about her outside of the category and try and see if she's a real person, right? And, yeah. and art and comics both. I mean, comics are kind sure. of a form of art as well, right? I think it's pretty easy to 
to, to see if there's a working prototype, yep. you can pretty easily put up some pages from the, the work that you're trying to do. And I think that's certainly when looking at comics, there's a big differentiator in how you're going to feel about even trying to throw in on a project. You know, if they have some artwork, some preliminary work done on the project, and they're just trying to help you get on board to, to get publishing lined up versus there are some projects out there that are just conceptual in nature, right? Oh, I have yeah. an idea for a comic let's raise 20 grand or whatever and then we'll bring it to life. Yeah. And those are the kind of things that I just don't have a great feeling about. And no. I think judging on the way other backers are backing or sure, I would rather say not backing those projects. Yeah. There were several yeah. that were closing in on their due dates and sitting at maybe 2% or 6% back. So I think you're finding a lot of the similar types of things that they are and that if you have a well fleshed out, idea of what you're going to deliver and a pretty good example of the types of directions you're going to go, you can probably find support. But if you're kind of wishy-washy, I saw several of them that were like, eh, I'm not quite sure where this is going to end up, but this is my broad swath of an idea. And it was <laughs> like a feminine heroine that will protect virtue or something like that. And I was like, mm, little pie in the sky, not, yeah. not overly compelling, but yeah. comics. Yeah. Comics. What a category. It was a good one. This was a fun category. I know nothing about comics. I'll come right out and say it. I have never read a graphic novel. I wasn't the kid that had the Superman or Marvel or or DC or anything like that comics when I grew up. I am a newbie. Oh, yeah. See, I kind of look at you as a voracious reader. You certainly yeah. read. Yeah. I'm a so, book more reader. Than I do. Absolutely. Right, right. A book reader. Yeah. But, but for I just whatever reason, never made it to graphic novels or comics and that kind of thing. No. So this was fresh for me. And, and I tell you, I came away super impressed at the level of talent that's out there in this category. There were, I admit it, I ran through the comics category and opened up tabs for things that just caught my eye right off the bat. And within the first few pages, I had pulled up like seven tabs of things that I wanted to follow up on because I was like, oh, yeah, that looks good. Oh, that one's good, too. It's tremendous. I think that's the kind of experience you get when you walk into a comic store as well, right? <laughs> like yeah. you you go in and you're just looking at all the the comics on the shelves. And really, I think the thing that will grab you is what that cover art looks like. Yeah. It's funny if, how that works for books, too. Have you ever caught oh, right. yourself double taking on a book you see the cover and it's just the design it it's something to be said for the design of the book it has nothing or the cover has nothing to do with the content of the book necessarily but it can still give you give the author that extra little glance to get you to look a little closer right i can't tell you the number of times that i've gone back and taken a look at a book just based on the cover it's the same for wine too oh yeah that's a really good point. It's all marketing. Gosh. I think this one's going to be hard to top in terms of just the number of quality campaigns that we're running. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, how should we run through these picks? Because we had some answer. run, right? Or a good we question. had a few runner-up picks, and then we had our final picks. Yeah. So uh, I'll, just, I'll just quickly go through my, my runners-up. My second runner-up was Urbanomicon, an urban fantasy tale by Alex Chow. Um, this is a graphic novel that essentially retells the story of Little Red Riding Hood as an urban adventure. And it's a metaphorical, allegorical type of thing. The art style 
was really abstract and almost noirish. So that was my second runner-up. My first runner-up was Proactive Insurance, The Pros, an Absurdist Spy Thriller. And if this one grabbed me again, and again, I'm, I'm a simple man. I was flipping through, and this one really caught me almost like an Archer-style oh. thing. And the art style grabbed me again. It just seemed like a lot of fun. Uh, and frankly, I will probably back this one after we get off the phone here because <laughs> I want the first. I want I want it. I do. And they've got like a $5 for the e-version, so I might just go in on that. Yeah, that's awesome. Like they have a really low pledge level. Yeah. Was, even $2 just for the digital comic? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's a great value. Yeah. Because I've gotten to the point in my life, too, you know, when you were talking about your experience with comics, I probably should have talked about mine a little bit, too, and not to derail us. But I did collect comics when I was, I guess, like in junior high, high school. And I wasn't a huge comic collector, but I guess that age where you start to, middle school age, you start to have a (laughs) tiny bit of disposable income. (laughs) I chose to spend that on comics. Uh, I kind of got into that. I'm not even sure how I first got into comics. I was probably sick one day, and my mom or dad brought home some from the Aww. from the record store or something. I think my first copies were probably like Spider-Man, a G.I. Joe comic book of all things. Nice. Because I was into G.I. Joe and Transformers, as every good kid of the 80s was. Absolutely. I had some Transformers comic books. And then I think I really made a quick turn into the Marvel family. So I read Iron Man and Spider-Man and I was all in on the X-Men. Like the X-Men and Spider-Man were, that was that was my go-to. So I was there for when Todd McFarlane came online with the, the Spider-Man craze and, and caught that wave and, and rode that. Um, but yeah, and I just loved that melding both of really compelling stories mm-hmm. And these stories that were told, I think in X-Men, these kind of misfit kids, these outsiders, right, finding their own and actually saving the world and always being misunderstood. I mean, that kind of really spoke to my journey through middle school oh, and wow. high school. It was like, right? So okay, I was kind yeah. of like, that, that was the X-Men with me. It connected. And yeah, and that that melding of story and art. I just, I love that. It was right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah, that's kind of how I came in. But then, of course, in college, I I, I fell away. Oh, um, no. I had other things to do. Chris. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think I reduced my collection down to about two or three short boxes of comics. I never had a huge collection, but... And then now I don't, I've reached the point where I don't... This is coming full circle to the digital comics. I've reached the point here where I don't want a bunch more physical comic books. Mm. I don't have anywhere to store them. Right. Right. And so the fact that we can have digital comics now that I can read them on my uh, e-reader <laughs> on, I can read them on my <laughs> iPad. Um, <laughs> that's something that, uh, mm. yeah. <laughs> e-reader. <laughs> oh, that's one of Brian's, uh, <laughs> sore spots listeners. You know what? I'll if give you, it to you, you for comics. It's color. They haven't uh, come out with a color Kindle yet. Yeah, if you want to uh, stimulate the erectile hairs in the back of Brian's <laughs> neck, then the way to do that is to call, call a tablet anything an other e-reader. than a, yes, anything other than an e-reader, an e-reader. Oh, <laughs> oh that's good. I'm a big e-ink fan, so everything yes. else is 
But I still have, I'll grant you, for comic books, I could see the iPad being vastly superior. I get you. Yeah. So dovetailing back in for 2 to $5 to jump in on, yeah. uh, I think any one of these campaigns is a really small investment. It's probably less than what the cover price for any book you're going to get at your local comic store or even backing you know, being a first backer in on a Kickstarter campaign. Sure. It's a great way to get in, dip your toe in the water and see if you like a, well, I was going to say a, an author, but an artist and author, because those two work very much uh, together. I, I admit it. I didn't know a whole lot about how cam- comics were created. And so following along these creators going in more detail on how they come together and seeing that the writer, the artist, the letterer, the colorer, mm-hmm are all possibly different people. And on some, yeah. on most of these, they were different people. That really, I wasn't expecting that. I, Whenever I look at these things, I always think of it being one person, but that's just not usually the case. Yeah, you've got your writer, you've got your penciler, your inker, your colorer, a lot of people working in concert to, to pull these things off. Although, and, and I guess if we're going to do this, the best way to move forward is my no, taking us off about the my rails. final pick. Yeah, we'll talk <laughs> about my final pick because it's your runner-up pick. So this is kind of funny. When we were talking about this, when Chris made his pick like last week, he he narrowed it down immediately and backed it almost uh, as a reactionary <laughs> thing, whereas I took my time to make my selection. But so we're walking down the hall and Chris says, I'd mentioned that I made a pick and he's like, did you pick this and i was like well yeah (laughs) how in the world did you do that well i knew because i was just so on the verge of backing it as well and i may after we uh jump off this call too just go ahead and do it before the campaign runs out so my pick for this week is in the comics category is scurry the drowned forest a post-apocalyptic mouse tale this one i freely admit on that initial run through, as I was scrolling through the comic category and pulling up my tabs, I saw this one, clicked it, and I almost immediately said, eh, I bet this is the one I'm going to back because the artwork immediately grabbed me. It's I, so I, gorgeous. It can't be described. It uh, This guy. So this one is by a guy named Max Smith, and this is mm-hmm. an exception to the rule. He apparently does everything. He came up with the story. He does the art. This is his baby. And this guy is just extraordinarily talented. This is the second book of Scurry. There was a first book. That one is available online. We'll put the link in the show notes. The complete first one is available as a as a essentially a, a web comic. And I flip I don't know if you got a chance to flip through it, but even no, just, I didn't. You told me about it, and I meant to go yeah, look at it. But even just the first few frames, the first few panels are just gorgeous. There's one shot of a room in a dilapidated house that the mice are going into, and the use of light and the little particles, and it's just this guy's got an eye. So I couldn't help it. It's just I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, before you scroll, if you go to the Kickstarter page, before you scroll to the end of the first preview, it just, you know, your finger's already hovering over the pledge button. Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) we were talking about how you do diligence and all this earlier. 
you just see this beautiful artwork and you're like, I'm just going to throw all of them. <laughs> just throw it out the window <laughs> and, an and back it. Yeah, yeah. It's just so good. It's amazing. It's, if you've, um, if you remember the secret of Nim. Oh yes. And like, I remember that from my, my youth, like how much the secret of Nim just as an animated epic imprinted on me as a kid. And just looking at this, this too. tickles that exact same area oh, in the yeah. prefrontal cortex. You dog on right. It does. So it's a. It'll be about 120 pages. I just mm. so yeah, I backed and the it backing levels the, too are okay. Yeah. Yeah, I backed it to get both the first and second soft covers. I needed them. Yeah, and this is one of those things too that I was talking about how I sort of feel like I only need digital <laughs> comics in my life now, but mm-hmm. I can see these really being something that um. You could show to people that aren't super engrossed in comics, and I think they would really enjoy them and, and like them. Yeah. And right. I think I read in the fact, too, that, you know, somebody was asking about kind of what, what rating would you give these? Are they acceptable for younger audiences, too? Right. And I don't think he actually gave an age range. That would be probably crazy because all kids are, are a little different, you know, yeah. parental guidance for sure. That's what I backed. I'm really happy about it. The only thing that I wish is that it would be here sooner. It's like scheduled for May of 2018, which is a long way away. And I really want my comic, but uh, I'm excited to get it. So what did you pick, Chris? Oh, good. Yeah. So you did mention that I just backed right away. (laughs) I think it was within two weeks ago when we hung up our conversation talking about art and we named the comic category. I just kind of was still kind of winding down from our talk and just pulled up Kickstarter, wanted to get a first look at what we were in for, (laughs) for comics and I pulled up comics. I did a sort and looked at projects ending soonest ah. uh, because I, w- I wanted to see, right, if sure. I put it off for a week, we do this pro- project every two weeks. I wanted to see if I put it off for a week, if there's anything I was going to miss immediately. And there on the first page of results was this name, what Kevin name? Eastman, mm-hmm. Kevin Eastman. And th- does that do anything for you? Not one <laughs> yeah. iota. So when I saw that name, yeah, the little synapses and neurons began to fire <laughs> and right my my brain came to life and I just immediately decided to back if this was the Kevin Eastman that I thought. So the Kevin Eastman doesn't mean it's Eastman and Laird, does that? Start, not uh, even not, not a doing little it bit. It's so Okay, sad. so Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird were co-creators of a little property back in 1984 called the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh! Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Turtle power. Heroes on a half shell. <laughs> Turtle power. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. So I, I admit I had to go back and look. Like, what year was that? 80? Oh, my god! Like, I was thinking, I was thinking like 86-ish. 1984. All the good stuff happened in 1984, apparently. Mm. Ghostbusters came out in 1984. Oh, I didn't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Footloose, 1984. <laughs> Have you tried to watch Footloose recently? Which one? The remake? No. no I, I, the Kevin Bacon one? Yeah. I have not seen it in a while. Yeah. We tried to watch it with my daughter, my 14-year-old daughter, and uh, it didn't It didn't end well. <laughs> we didn't make it through. It was too hokey. Really? Yeah, we didn't <laughs> uh, what part? What part pushed you over? Was it the... Uh, Tractor chicken fight? Yes. No, we made it past the tractor chicken <laughs> fight, but we didn't was, make was... it past the dance in the no. Yeah, in the warehouse, we couldn't get past that one. It was a little too emo <laughs> and and absurd. We we just Kevin Bacon 
flinging himself around a warehouse was too much for my daughter. So, so that's even before the the Kevin Bacon and Chris Penn montage where he learns to dance. Correct. We didn't make got, it that far. You guys need to double down. I don't know that we have the power. Get, get back in there. No. Uh, so what is this project? This project is Kevin Eastman's Drawing Blood, volume number one. A graphic novel. A graphic novel. A yeah. dark comic look inside the life of a famous cartoonist on the skids. The story behind the stories from the co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So this is kind of a meta story? Yeah, exactly. So the idea of this story is this is uh, Kevin Eastman and a guy named Ben Bishop. They're creating the story of this guy named Shane Bookman. So in the, the backstory for the comic, Shane Bookman and his brother, they created a little indie comic that put three katana-wielding cats <laughs> into okay. the populace, um, and they were called the Radically Rearranged Ronin Ragdolls. Boy, that's a mouthful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's just kind of a take on, I think, his experience with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And there was something I uncovered. That, like I said, I kind of fell away from comics. I didn't actually know that Eastman and Laird split up in the early 90s, oh. and he sold his whole stake in TMNT. To Laird? I guess to the publisher and Laird, yeah. Kind uh-huh. of just exited from the business wholesale. But I guess over the, that's been like two decades ago. So he's had two decades of still attending Comic-Cons. and yeah. Right. And I think the way that Ben and I was reading an interview that Ben and Kevin got together, they were at, I think, San Diego Comic-Con sitting in a hotel bar probably. And just having a conversation about all the experiences they've had just being immersed in this subculture of comic goers going from con to con and just being exposed to these wild, almost unbelievable stories and started to come up with this, you know, this fictional universe and, as you mentioned, meta story around their own experiences. So this is not a true to life story. It's not a biography. Right. But, but it is the, drawn from... Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Uh, so it sounded really interesting. I love that kind of story in a story. Yeah, I like um, it. And for anybody, I think, that sort of has followed Kevin over the years, I think that'll be fun for them probably to try and figure out what's real and what's uh, what's fiction uh. in the story. And then I think that Kevin did come back and join the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles today. So he's back involved with some of the projects there. But this this project does look great. And like I said, I just I was like, I'm going to back this now. Just get this one out of the way. So I think within 24 hours of us <laughs> hanging up the last art discussion, I had already backed this thing. So they were going for a goal of, it doesn't say here. I think they were looking for about $100,000 and ended up with one hundred six one seventy six. Oh, wow. So they with, cut it a little close, but yeah. Yeah. $106,000. Yep. $1,100 backers. Yep. So what at what level did you back? Well, at the moment, I'm backed in just for the digital copy, which is, I think I backed $10. Uh, yeah, $10 or more, you could go in for the full trade digital. And one of their stretch goals, if they hit that, they were going to do a Ragdoll's first episode, first issue. And I think that gets thrown in with uh, any, any backer of any level. Yeah, I think they got it, right? Yep, they did. Okay, so the 100K was their stretch goal. So they were well over. 
Oh, okay. That, that was it. As they were winding in, they were trying to meet that stretch goal to, to unleash this uh, episode one of the Ronin Ragdolls, which There's looks pretty awesome, too. There's one thing I find too. interesting about these types of campaigns, because clearly this guy has name recognition and a certain cachet, a certain level of celebrity. And so if you scroll way down to the bottom, you can pledge 6000 or more for the VIP experience with Kevin Eastman, where you get to hang out yeah, with yeah. Kevin in San Diego. And there's two people that backed at that level. And I assume... Like, were you, af- is <laughs> were that you afraid con- I was one of those? No. <laughs> You're like, yeah, Chris really went in on this. I had two I had two things holding me back. One was I didn't want physical comics really anymore, as we talked about. I want to read them. <laughs> that was what held you back. Them. <laughs> I well, don't have space and, for the uh, comics. I'm I, not going to spend $6,000. Plus, I had to buy my wife a birthday present. So. <laughs> well, she could go meet Kevin Eastman. <laughs> she could have had the VIP experience with Kevin Eastman. That's right. <laughs> there was another one. It was a couple hundred dollars. Where you could have, I think, a 30-minute conversation with Kevin. Yeah, I saw that one too. And I, I see, I would have a really hard time with that one. I thought we could put him on the show. Okay. <laughs> How much was it? $300. Oh, we can spring 300 bucks. <laughs> well, Money bags? Yeah, you can. I don't know the guy. I wouldn't know what to say. That's my problem. I wouldn't know what to say if I spent uh, $300, much less 6000 So you like drawing? Uh, I like your lines. They're cool. How and, do you pronounce oil? <laughs> oh, oil. oil. <laughs> We're going to have to share the link now. Oh, I'm the dog licked the oil. And everybody, <laughs> and everybody laughed. laughed. We're Southern. Yeah. So when is this one coming out? Do you know? October 2017. Oh, that's for the uh, first chapter. What? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chapter one. So they're going to do chapter one, and then estimated delivery of the whole project is, I think, January 2018. Oh, okay. So that's cool. They're going to give you a little teaser. Yeah, that is nice. It's better than mine. I don't get mine until May. Come on, Max Smith. Give me my comic. Yeah, I trust that Kevin has a reputation to pull this one through. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, there's a ton of information in this project, too, which I think also kind of talks to the validity of it. I mean, I don't think that this is the kind of project that there's any question about if it's a real thing or not, or if it's just a money grab. Yeah. But there's almost just so much information here that it's hard to digest. I mean, there are, I don't know if I've seen this many pledge levels with a project. No. It's, it's, It's tons and tons of different pledge levels where you can back and get not just the the trade digital uh, or the digital and the in the trade book but also you can get original pieces of artwork by Kevin or Ben or I mean there's even a, an original piece of artwork by Robert Rodriguez in here which is pretty crazy to think about I didn't know is he was it? an artist at all yeah I, I don't know who that is um see now you're uh Dust Till Dawn Sin oh, City okay uh yeah. what else did he direct yeah if you're if you are a fan of Robert Rodriguez and you want a piece of artwork from him, you can jump it. You could have jumped in here. Sorry, yeah, too this, late. It's already closed. I know. Yeah. So that is this week's backing. I guess we need to figure out what we're doing next week, don't we? Dance is that at twenty three. I don't think that's low. enough. What's our threshold? Thirty. Yeah, thirty. <laughs> we're not there. We can't do it. Hallelujah. <laughs> so do we go in order? If we go in order. We're at crafts. 118 projects in crafts currently. Yeah. That's 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 pretty okay. good. Let's do crafts. Come on. Okay. 
We're, we're just marching through then we at are. this point. Yeah. That means uh, we've got two weeks for dance to get above 30. Yeah, I think they can do it. Otherwise, we're just going to run headlong into a brick wall. What's the hot season for dance? Is it winter? Everybody's indoors? Yeah, that's right. There'll be more? Okay. Okay, so next week, crafts. I can do that. Yeah, I think so. I bet you're going to back something um, immediately. Immediately. <laughs> Before the, the clock runs out tonight, mm-hmm. I'll just go ahead and back something. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a name. To look. You're going to see Martha Stewart there, and you're just going to be like, <laughs> must have. My, my secret Mar- Martha Stewart love. <laughs> you and Snoop Dogg. That's right. All right. Should we mention um, you want to take us home? Go? Yeah, I guess so. But I was going to say that uh, you can go to our show notes at backerspodcast.com. <gasps> that's right. We're live. That's right. Backerspodcast.com. You can check us out there. You can find the show notes for this episode and our previous episodes. You can also see the show notes wherever you're probably listening to what we're saying right now in your ear holes on whatever <laughs> listener you are listening at. And you can find us on Twitter, the tutor there at Backers Podcast. That's right. At Backers Podcast. It's almost like uh, we're official. Feels good. It does feel good. Thank feels you, like that's all our time today. That is all of our time. So listeners, thanks for listening. We'll be back very soon in a fortnight with another episode where we will be exploring and backing one campaign from the crafts category. Backers was produced by Chris Rumpf and Brian Dupuy. Our theme song was written and performed by the wonderful Ian Dorsch. Join us again next time, and until then, please back responsibly. Responsibly.